Hey, again, Merry Christmas to you. Hope uh, you're off to a, a great start. And um, I'm going to give you the Gospel of John today. This is how the disciple begins telling the good news regarding Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John the Baptist, not the disciple. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. <clears throat> Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. It's true, it's true, it's true. The story of Jesus Christ is a telling one. Go all the way back. God told Adam and Eve. The prophets told God's people. Gabriel told Mary, the angel of the Lord told Joseph, Mary told Elizabeth, Elizabeth told Zechariah, Joseph told the innkeeper, angels told the shepherds, a star told the magi, and now I'm telling you, good news, great joy, a Savior has been born. Oh, good morning, Messiah. Good morning to you, guest visitors. So glad that you are here watching from wherever it is that you're watching from. It's, it's a great day. It really is. I love to tell the story, and it's so good to be with you because the story of Jesus Christ 
is a telling one. And speaking of telling, are you familiar with this little guy? Some of you might know him very well. It's the elf on a shelf. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with this recent Christmas tradition, I'll try to explain. I'll try to enlighten you a little bit this morning. The Elf on a Shelf is based on a story written in 2005 that explains how Santa knows who is naughty and who is nice. It describes elves visiting children from Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve, and what they do is they spy on kids. And once the children are asleep, the elves fly back to the North Pole, and they report on how things are going. They tell is what they do. But wait, there's more. Because before the family wakes up each morning, the elf flies back to somewhere in the house. It's kind of like a month-long game of hide-and-seek, and you can tell from the pictures there that the old elf on the shelf knows how to have a good time, you know, making pancakes and drinking syrup with Barbie or just eating up all your M&Ms. It's a fun tradition, except for the part about snooping in on people's business. If you think about it, I'm not so sure I would have liked that as a kid, or even still today. I'm not all that comfortable with someone looking at me and snitching about whether I've been naughty or nice. How about you? Now, thanks to the elf on the shelf, he knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So, you better be good, for goodness sake. Well, you know, a lot of people kind of think that way about God, that God spies on us, and he's keeping a list of the good things and the not-so-good things that we do, and depending upon how you're doing, it's, well, uncomfortable. Now, the Bible does say this, that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And like I said, that's great, you know, when I'm reading my Bible or going to church or helping a little old lady across the street, as if. But what about the other time? when my heart is not fully committed to him. I don't want God looking at me then. Author Dallas Willard tells a story involving his wife and his little three-year-old granddaughter. Larissa was playing in the backyard, and she discovered how to make mud, which she called warm chocolate. And it didn't take long uh, before she was covered in mud. And Larissa's grandmother, who was there in the backyard reading, had her seat, kind of her chair, turned away from Larissa. But when she discovered her, you know, she cleaned her up, and then she said, now, Larissa, no more of that. And then she turned her chair to face Larissa. But pretty soon, the three-year-old went back to the warm chocolate factory. But 
making eye contact with her grandmother. She said, don't look at me, Nana, okay? Now, Nana, who was a little bit codependent, agreed. Three times, the little girl was playing in the mud. She said, don't look at me, Nana, okay? Willard writes, thus, the tender soul of a little child shows us how necessary it is to be unobserved in our wrong. John Ortberg explains, he says, imagine a woman who is out having coffee with a friend and she says something mildly sarcastic about a mutual acquaintance. Then the conversation quickly heats up. Her vicious language is stronger than the coffee. There's quite a slam best taking place. And you know how it is. It's kind of strange. Tearing someone else down makes her feel a little bit better about herself. Kind of. Because as this roasting continues, there's another conversation taking place within. And that's, don't look at me, God, okay? I really don't mean all the things that I say about her, but all the same. Could you turn away? Imagine a student taking an exam. She's crammed a bunch of facts into her head, but it's spinning. She's got to do well. The pressure's on, and she feels it. She glances at a cheat sheet. She knows better. She's even bothered by it. But she needs the answers. Lord, don't look at me, okay? Can you just turn away for now? Or how about the businessmen who checks into a hotel room. The hotel has a policy that says the name of the movie that you rent will not appear on your statement. As he reaches for the remote, he first fires up a little prayer. Don't look at me, God, okay? Can you turn away? That might be one of our most common prayers, probably not readily acknowledged, much less spoken, maybe not even fully aware that we're actually praying it. But there's something inside us that softly whispers, don't look at me now, God, okay? How do you see God looking at you? What do you see? How do you feel as he looks at you? Or let me ask you this. How do you see God? Do you see him as someone to hide from? Is he a God that makes you uncomfortable? A God that makes you afraid? 
Do not be afraid. That's what the angels announced to the shepherds on those hills outside Bethlehem. For I bring you good news of great joy. Do not be afraid. Well, you know, that wasn't always the case. In fact, before Christmas, you just might want to back away from holy God. He had been here before, just not like this, not this way, not in the flesh. You check out the Old Testament sometime. You could be consumed on the spot for entering his holy presence. Just touching the Ark of the Covenant would kill you. And you see these holy encounters, and truth be told, it is somewhat scary. God comes down on Mount Sinai, and it thunders, and a dense cloud descends, and smoke like a blazing furnace appears, and the mountain itself trembles violently, and it frightens the children of Israel. And they would see God as he was present in a tremendous pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire. Or how about Job? To Job, God came in a hurricane or a tornado. Well, we know about the damage of tornadoes. Or how about when Moses asked to see God's face? And the Lord told him, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. But, Moses, I like you. I'll allow you to see my, my back, just my backside. And Moses looks. He takes just a peek. And when he did, his face literally lit up. When Moses came down from the mountain, his face was so bright with radiance that you had to wear shades, but they didn't have sunglasses. So Moses put a veil over his face because it would hurt to look at him because he had seen just a glimpse, boom, Almighty God, so great, so high, so unapproachable is the Lord God Almighty. That was then. Now it's Christmas. John's gospel declared it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had to wear a veil. For whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed for Christ has taken it away. See, what, what John and what Paul are saying is that through Jesus Christ, you can see and meet God, and it doesn't hurt. It won't kill you. 
far from it. Now we can see God and live. Now, kids, don't do this at home. But what do you think will happen if you stare at the sun? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Not exactly, but it'll feel like it. You can really cause some serious eye damage if you stare at the sun. But there is a way. You can behold the sun if you see it through a filter. Ah, if you have a powerful and a protective filter, then you can see the glowing flames and eruptions and all the sun's activity. There's a lot going on up there. But you need a filter. That's what Christmas is. You see, that's Jesus. Christmas means we can look at the holy brightness of God and smile. There's no need to be afraid. When God showed up in Jesus Christ, he was not in a pillar of fire. He was not in a tornado. But a baby. <laughs> a baby. A baby. <laughs> Can anything be less scary than a baby? I mean, think about the difference between that. How God used to shove and now a baby. A baby? Oh, there's nothing like a baby. Little babies can be touched and picked up and hugged and kissed, and they like it. They invite it. They'll cling to you. Babies make a smile. How can you just see it? Joseph staring into that little face. That's God's face. Mary cradling God in her arms. Wrapping God up in swaddling cloths. And placing the very creator of the universe in a manger. Imagine that. And I'll be the first to admit, it's very hard to. It's almost beyond comprehension. I've been trying to explain it for 20 years, and I still can't do it. Why? Why would God come this time in person as a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind or a blazing inferno? I do have the answer. Because he came not to bring judgment, but to bear it. He came not to bring judgment, but to bear it. Because this time he came to pay the penalty for our sins. 
and to take away the barrier that was between God and man so that we can have a relationship with holy, almighty God. Jesus is God with us. The incarnation did not merely happen to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so that he could be with us and we with him. He came to save us, to enter into our world, to enter into our sin, our sorrow, our mess, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the message of the gospel. God entering into our world, our sinful mess. Jesus enters in to save us. God in the flesh, totally approachable. And yet, and yet, he is holy God Almighty. He is pure righteousness, powerful to be feared, to be obeyed. And yet, he is so tender and so mild. And he humbled himself by becoming our servant, a servant unto death, even death on a cross. And it is the cross where we see God best of all. In April of 1961, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin was the first human to journey into outer space. It was really, really big news in 1961. Well, following his return to Earth, Nikita Khrushchev, the general secretary of the Communist Party, gave a speech at an anti-religion rally in which he said, Gagarin flew into space, but he did not see God there. In response to that, C.S. Lewis said, oh, please, that's way too simplistic. It's not like we're on the first floor of an apartment building and we go up to the second floor looking for God and when we don't find him there, we therefore can claim he doesn't exist. No, not at all. He said, it's more like an author, a creator, who writes himself into a story of his own creation. You see, you and I can have a relationship with God because Jesus wrote himself into our story. Tim Keller uh, describes what Lewis is getting at here. He says, you take a story. And he's, uh, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, okay? Shakespeare's the author, story, Romeo, Juliet. Got it. Question, how much do Romeo and Juliet know about Shakespeare? Not much. In fact, nothing at all. But what if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story? That's exactly what author Dorothy Sayers did. Sayers was described as a tall, 
and not all that good looking, uh, but she was way, way, way smart. She was the first woman to actually attend Oxford University, and she was a writer of detective fiction. And she wrote a series of novels called The Lord Peter Whimsy Stories. Well, Lord Peter was this dignified detective type, and he was single and alone. But in the middle of the series, he meets a tall, not particularly attractive woman named Harriet Vane, who just so happens to be one of the first women to go to Oxford, and who just so happens to be a writer of detective fiction. She and Peter fall in love, and they get married, and they solve mysteries together. Okay? Do you see what she did there? Dorothy Sayers, the author, looked into the world that she created and into the character that she created, and she saw his pain, his loneliness, and she fell in love with him. <laughs> and so she wrote herself into the story just to save him. It's very good. You think about this when you get home. Keller says, God, you see, has done quite the same thing. God looked into our world, the world that he had made, and he saw us grabbing a hold of sin and destroying ourselves and dying. And it filled his heart with pain. For God so loved the world, and he saw us struggling to free ourselves from the traps of misery and death that we created for ourselves. And so he wrote himself in. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus Christ, true God, true man, born to die so that you and I don't have to die eternally. He came to save you, to have a relationship with you now and forever. Whoever so believes in him shall not perish, but have an eternal life. If you are a whosoever, you are connected to Jesus. You need not be afraid. God is not an angry judge. God is not a mean-spirited bookkeeper listing your record of rights and wrongs, naughties and nices. Not, not at all. No. No. God looks at those who are in Christ through the lens of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. 
that means you've already been judged. You've already been judged. It was on Christ. The penalty has already been paid. It was on Christ. There is no record of wrongs. Do you know what this means? It means we don't have to run and hide. It means we can seek and find him. We know him. And we love him. It means you don't have to be afraid of God. It means we can see God how he sees us. You know what God sees when he looks at you? Every time. Even and you're not so good time. Do you know what he sees then and there, right then? Mind blower. It's love. God the Father looks at you always, if you are in Christ, and he always looks at you, whether naughty or nice, the same exact way he looks at his son, Jesus Christ. Meaning this, every time God sees you, whether nice, naughty, doesn't matter, you are holy and you are perfect in his sight. I know. I've been trying to do this for 22 years. I still can't do it. Which has come to the grips of how crazy, wild, wonderful this is. You gotta get this. And when you get it, you can't help but give it away. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. You see, when God looks at you, do you know what he does? He smiles. Just like how you look at a baby and you have to smile at it. That's how God looks at you. Whether you're naughty or nice or in between, he looks at you and he smiles. Wow, this is good news of great joy. God smiles on me. God smiles on you. You do the same. Smile and be happy because God loves you. Joy to you. Joy to the world. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. Amen.